Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, if we have not met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I am thrilled to be opening the Word of God with you. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Pastor Brian started us off in this series walking through the book of Philippians and um, man, like in, in preparation for this week, Siri, hush, it's my time. Uh, in preparation for this week, like, man, I, like, there's just something I think God has for us in the passage we're gonna look at. Um, I don't always know what to expect, but I just know we should expect something. And because uh, whenever the word of God is proclaimed, God wants to do something. And so uh, maybe you're here for the first time and we're so thankful you're here. Maybe you came because you wanted to hear Pastor Brian and you're getting me. Um, amen. The, uh, I think the benefit for you is majority of the time my sermons are short like I am. So <laughs> welcome in, welcome online. We're ready to go. Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna read verse eight through 11. We're really gonna look at nine, 10, and 11, but it says this. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is an incredible letter. As we talked about last week, this letter is is unique when it comes to one of Paul's writings because Paul's not correcting or rebuking this church. He's actually, when you read through the letter, uh, you just feel this love that Paul has for this church. But he is giving warnings in his encouraging, in his rejoicing in this church, he is warning them. And we see this all like really starting in this prayer. In the beginning of uh, this letter, we, what we talked about last week was we saw the overflow of the thankfulness that Paul has for the Philippians. And then we're gonna look at his prayer, but I love that. We look at this idea, yearning with the affection of Jesus for them. Like it's such an amazing thing. And so I want us to look at nine. And it says, it is my prayer. I want us to stop there. With the idea of what would it look like if we prayed? Not just for us at CMC this way, though I'm, this is my prayer for you. But what if we prayed for the church as a whole? With this, like yearning with the affection of Jesus, when you're driving down the road and passing a church, what if you prayed with them, yearning that they would walk in what God has for them? Like, I want us to be clear, this is not a competition. 
Like no one gets to heaven and it's like, hey, I was a part of Chestmount Church. I get closer to the throne. Move out of the way. Like it's not that, right? We get that? What if we prayed for one another and prayed for other churches to see that? That's free. This is my prayer, that your love, this word love in the Greek is agape love, which means it is this different kind of love. There, in the Greek language, there's multiple words for love because they had multiple meanings. Students, I think you've leaned into this this week. I think it's important to see that it's not what we think of when we think of love. This love that Paul is referring to is sacrificial. It's benevolence. It's charitable love. It's a love that doesn't place conditions on it. Think about it. Like Think about how we think of love, right? You love your spouse or you love your kids or students you think you love, that little boy, little girl. Well, I don't have time for that. But we, we, we talk about this. So I, I love Lauren, my wife, and I love my kids. But hey, I love Chick-fil-A. Amen? It's blessed by the Lord, anointed. Um, but hey, those loves are very different, right? Or they should be. They should be. I always say that because it feels like there might be some tension. You might love Chick-fil-A sometimes more. But hey, I'm, I'm laying my life down for my wife and my kids. I'm not for Chick-fil-A. So when we think about this, we gotta see, this is what kind of love is Paul talking about? This isn't normal, everyday kind of love. And this isn't the love that we always times consider, right? Because when we think about how we love in our culture, a lot of times we place conditions on our love. I'll love you if you do this or act this way or you meet me here, do this kind of thing. It's conditional. I think, honestly, I think it's why we see so many marriages fractured. Because Christ has called us to live sacrificially. Husbands, I wanna challenge you for a second. This isn't my notes, it's free. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Which means you don't place conditions on how you love your spouse. You sacrificially love them. What if we also learn to love one another this way? What if you love the person sitting around you this way with no conditions? It's important too to understand that this is a different, like doesn't make sense kind of love. First John 4 verse 10 says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the payment of wrath for yours and my sin. This is love. So John's telling us, this, what, what is love? It's this, God loved you first, not that you loved him. You didn't bring a sacrificial, no condition kind of love to God and go, hey, can you love me? God came in and said, hey, I love you regardless. This is love. 16 in 1 John 4 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is love. God is love. So what I wanna do for just a minute, followers of Christ, I want you to go in your mind with me to when Christ saved you. When God called you into the kingdom, I want you to think about that moment. That this love that God showed you when you did not deserve it, when you did nothing to earn it. I think of my walk with Christ. I grew up in this church. I knew a lot of the church answers, right? I could answer the Sunday school answers. Majority of the time, if you just say, Jesus, you're right. Right? You know what I mean? The answer's Jesus. Sometimes it's not, though. And, and man, like I, I, I fell off and wanted to play the church game on Sunday, but live a completely different life later on. And at almost 19, at Bayless Creek one night, God saved me. God saved me. I didn't even know I needed to be saved. I thought I knew him and he saved me because what in my mind was like, God, there, I had all these doubts. There's no way you can love me. I've done this, this, and this, and this is the fake that I am. And God says, hey, you're mine. You're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that he became sin, that knew no sin, that we could become the righteousness of Christ. And God met me there when I didn't deserve it and had done nothing to earn it. And he met me with this kind of love. Hey, there's no conditions on it. It's sacrificial. I've laid my life down. Follow me. And everything changed. And if you follow Jesus, you have that moment. You might not be able to say the date. I can't tell you what day in March. I can barely tell you what I did last week. But like, I know March 2009, God saved Brandon Bridge Farmer and changed everything about me because he met me with this kind of love. So if we're gonna understand how to, ab to abound more and more in this kind of love, we have to know what that love is. We have to have experienced it. You can't live this kind of love if you've never been loved like this. You have no shot in it of yourself. The beautiful Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows us, or shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. But for us, think about it in this context. Before you ever sinned, Christ died. He went to the cross knowing good and well what you and I were gonna do, and he still died in our place. See, if we're not careful, we'll think God loves who I can be, who I want to be, that future version of yourself. Well, God will do something in my life if I can just get here and stop doing this and act like this. It's not the kind of love that God shows. It's not that you love him or cleaned yourself up, that he loves you and died in your place. This is the kind of love Paul is praying that they would grow more and more into. They would abound, which abound means above the measurement. So if this is the standard, Paul's saying, I want you to go more and more than that. More and more than that. 
Homer Kent Jr. says this, love never reaches a saturation point. Love never reaches a saturation point. There's not an arrival moment of I've met where God wants me to be and how I love. Keep going. See, CMC, we say love first. We have it on the wall. We believe it. It's on t-shirts. Love people first. But you can do better. I can do better. Paul's praying that they would keep going, that they wouldn't come to this arrival moment because it doesn't exist. Continue to grow in our love for Christ and our love for one another. So he wants us to abound more and more in this kind of love and then gives us guidelines or guides, if you will, with knowledge and all discernment. With. Abound in your love with. So think of these, these two avenues, these two guides for how Paul is saying, this is how you will grow. If you wanna grow in this love, you first have had to meet Jesus and then this is how you continue to grow in it. I think so often a lot of us have got saved and we've stayed there. We've stayed in this moment of conversion and we haven't ever taken a step to grow. And we gotta go. So two guides, knowledge and discernment. The word knowledge here doesn't just mean like you have common sense or you know things. It's talking about spiritual knowledge, knowledge of the things of God and discernment, which means intellectual perception or think of it as moral, ethical understanding or even simpler terms. Think of knowledge as, hey, this is what is right and discernment is this is what is best. What is right and what is best? How do you grow in your love? You do it through what is right and what is best. Because we have to understand, there's sometimes things are right, but it's not best to do it. You ever like confronted someone and it's like, this is true, and you like crush them? But it's true. That's like my, my like, I guess it's just being short and short man syndrome, you just, like a little dog that just wants to attack. It's free. 1045. Um, so what is right? What is best? Because if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, majority of the guidelines that we have for how we love people is how we feel. How we love people and how we act towards them is based on how we feel about them. And that's a terrifying place to be. And I'll say this, because your feelings majority of time, not always, God uses emotions and feelings for the advancement of his kingdom, but majority of the time, your feelings are liars. Do you wanna know who lies to Brandon Bridge Farmer the most? Brandon Bridge Farmer lies to Brandon Bridge Farmer the most. And I would bet that you do it. Like, and this is how the enemy wants us to be. And so how should you, how should you love if it's not just based on how you feel, you do it with knowledge and love. The Christian has to be grounded. You have to be grounded in your understanding of who God is. We have an understanding of the gospel which saved us, but then apart from that, we don't, we don't necessarily know what to believe because a lot of us have never picked this up and read it. Do you wanna know who God is? This is how you know, it's his self-revelation. It's a book primarily about God, not about me. 
It actually doesn't talk about me other than a sinner. So it's not the uplifting thing you want. It's about yourself. It's about who God is. So the beauty of this though, because it's grounded in love or grounded in understanding of who God is in his love with knowledge of him and the discernment based on experience. This is how you grow in your love. And what I love about scripture is it shows us two examples of two churches that were either one-sided or the other. So in Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And two of the churches, he's addressing this issue. In church in Ephesus, so the Ephesians, in chapter two, verses uh, two through uh, five, it says this. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So right there, these two verses, Jesus is encouraging them. Man, you love the word of God. You know doctrine. You're solid in your understanding. Like, you're not like walking around not knowing what to believe and why you believe it. You know it. Like PhD, you, you seminary, Bible college, whatever it is, you're in all the Bible studies. You know. You're smart. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You love truth, but you don't love people. You know the truth. You have knowledge, but you don't have any discernment in how to live it out. And like, what a terrifying place. And if I'm honest with you, if I can be honest with you for a second, large group counseling session, if you will, this is a terrifying place for me because I love doctrine. I love theology. You wanna have a conversation with me that I'm gonna lose my mind about? My kids and theology. Lauren, too, like, babe, I love you. Like, but like, theology gets my wheels going but I don't wanna be someone that does not love as Christ has loved me. And then later on in this same chapter, he writes to Thyatira, which is the same city that Lydia in Acts 16, one of the first converts in the church of Philippi is from. Verse 19 says this, I know your works, your love and faith and service, service patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. I know your works, your love, your faith, like you serve so well. You love people so well. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel and who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. You see this? Like, I, man, you love, love, love really, really well, but you 
Do not handle when people expose the truth and do not teach the truth. So it cannot be like, hey, I love doctrine, but I don't love people, or I love people, but I don't care about truth. It is a both and that we've been called to live in. You wanna grow in this love, it is based on who God is and his promises based on the experience of how that has affected you. So that's what Paul's praying for. And what you have to see here, what I want you to understand are these two examples, the, the warning I want you to have. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can know what to say, when to say it, what not to say. You can teach the class. You can even point out the Greek and Hebrew and still not truly know him. But you can also love really well and be really emotionally driven in your faith and not know him. See, Matthew 7, it's not gonna be on the screen, but I want you to see this. It's one of the most terrifying passages in the Bible. Jesus says, not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but only he who does the will of the Father. And they'll say, hey, Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There's this caveat that it's not just about like, I give mouth service to you or I lift my hands in worship or I pray or I whatever. It's you've known him and he knows you based on being biblically informed with deep affection for the Lord. Biblically informed with deep affection for the Lord and that will flow out of you. The love of God will flow out of you. So Paul, this is in verse nine, he's giving the prayer. And then he moves on to show them some goals, some immediate goals that he has for them in this prayer. Verse 10, it says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Let's stop there. You approve what is excellent. Approve is a mining term in the Greek. And Philippi was a mining city, was known for gold and precious jewels. And this mining term, approved, meant to test it to see its worth, to see its value. And that's why he goes on to test to see if it's excellent, or the NIV says best, or the CSB says superior. The love of God flowing out of you from God meeting you based on knowledge and discernment will able to discern what is right and good of God. So how do we know what is excellent or best in the world? That answer has to be grounded in your understanding of who God is. So you might have the question, like as all of us should be thinking, hey, what is best for my family? What is best for my spouse? What is best for my kids? What's best for my job? What's best for my small group or my church or the world? What's best? It has to be grounded in your understanding of who God is. See, Paul says, abound in this love through your understanding of who God is. That's the danger we're gonna run into is not being able to answer these questions based on what the word says, but how I feel. And listen, if we listen to just our emotions, we would never walk the way Paul walked. Think about it, he's writing from prison. 
He goes on in, in, in chapter four to talk about rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Like who's rejoicing? Because they've been in prison. They, the disciples were count, like counted it that they were worthy to suffer after being beaten for the name of Jesus. Paul says in Romans eight, I don't count the present suffering worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed. He says in, to the Corinthians that my weak, in my weakness, your power is made perfect. This is not a man that's based on basing everything on his emotions. He's basing it on what he knows to be true about God from his experience and from the word of God. So if you base what is best for you and your family and whatever it is based on how you feel apart from the word of God, you are gonna be led astray every single time. You have to do both. Like what if we became a people that were marked by, we know it's best. Listen, the world looks like it's on fire right now, right? We're inundated with information constantly that probably creates anxiety and stress and worry and anger and whatever it is. So how does the Christian handle what's happening in our culture? What are we constantly be impressed? Think this way, do this, approve of this, don't approve of this, fight for this, don't fight for that. How is the Christian supposed to handle that? Rooted in love and knowledge and discernment. That's the only way you're going to be able to approve what is right. So that means, hey, I gotta come to the word. What does the word of God say about this? I don't necessarily care about how I feel about it in the moment. I want the word of God to inform me. Hey, I wanna get some followers of Christ around me that I, I, I trust. What do you think about this? How do I handle this moment in time that God has placed me in? Like how as a believer do I stand against the cultural wars that are going on. You're not meant to do this alone. You know, it's, it's a new thing in history to be thought of as just an individual and not to be about a community. What's right for me? No, no, what's right for God and his name? That's what the believer should fight for. So that you may prove what is excellent, so be pure and blameless. Pure means without falsehood or to be sincere and blameless means without an offense. We see Paul praying for them to be holy. And that's not legalism. Oh, I can't do this, God must not love me. No, no, God has set guides around us that we might live life best. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. Here's the guides. I'm not robbing you, I'm giving you life. Be holy. This idea of being undefiled, not leading others into sin, but away from it, to Christ. What would it look like if the church became open book Christians? This is my life, this is what I struggle with, but this is where I'm running to, I'm running to Jesus. One step at a time, I'm moving towards Christ, not creating stumbling blocks. Think about this idea of being pure. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Listen to that promise in the Beatitudes. Pure in heart, you will see God. Like what a beautiful thing that would be to see him. 
First John 3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. Hoping in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins helps me walk in this. But I want you to see, before he says, he doesn't say, so hopefully you become pure. He says, be pure and blameless. This word be means, it's like this action. It's the pursuit of holiness. Understand that walking in holiness is an effort. Who else was frustrated when they got saved? They woke up the next day still struggling with the same things they did before. I was like, wait a second. I want to, I want to, like, I don't want to deal with that. I love you, Jesus. Like I wanted to live that ax life where my hanky's healing people and right. I don't carry a hanky. Maybe that's the problem, but like, just kidding. But this is, I, I do not carry a hanky. I probably should. Sweating. Sanctification, though, is this idea of the pursuit of holiness. And it is not something you fall into. It's something you fight for. You fight for it. I think we want to just wake up and be holy and put no effort into becoming like Christ. I think this is where we've fallen into the problem in the American church of get saved and that's it. No, get saved and pursue Jesus. Walk in godliness. Fight for it. Pursue him. He tells us to be conformed to his image. To be molded. Scripture talks about being like a potter or clay in a potter's hands, which means it's gonna be dirty and messy, but it will be worth it. And this is what will show that we have love for one another, how we serve one another, we talk about one another. And if we're not pursuing Christ's light, it will show in how we do those things. And I think it's an epidemic in the church, the lack that we are pursuing Christ. And I want CMC to be a people that pursue Jesus because that's what Christ longs for us to do. It's hard, but it's worth it. Be holy. And why is he saying be pure and blameless, walk in holiness? He ends verse uh, 10 with the day, for the day of Christ. We just spent time in this in 1 Thessalonians. Christ is coming again, amen? He's coming again and he is coming to judge and stand as the right judge before all of creation, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 John 2, 28 29 says, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness, walks in holiness, is of him. And you wanna know how you know? It's because it keeps going. Anyone can fake it for a while, but you keep going. When you think about this, the day that Jesus is coming back, does it scare you or motivate you? Does it scare you and paralyze you or does it motivate you to walk in it? Now think about it, if, if Jesus is coming back, think about it like if, you, if you're married in the room the day of your wedding, the excitement, maybe the anxiety, nerves that you had that day. I can think about how excited I was 
to, to Mary Lauren and at two o'clock those doors would open and she would walk through and all that we had hoped for that day was coming true. And listen, we got, in, we, <laughs> we don't have time for this, but uh, I met Lauren and six months later we were married. Amen, it was awesome. Ten, a 10 week engagement, which means you gotta do a lot of work to get ready. But the excitement, there's work to be done to get ready for Jesus to come. Do it, work on it. Filled, verse 11, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Filled with righteousness. See, you've been, if you've trusted in Jesus's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been filled, you've been imputed righteousness, given the righteousness of God, something you didn't earn or deserve. And this happens at the moment of sanctification or at the moment of salvation, something you didn't do, something he did for you. But Paul's talking about sanctification, filled with the fruit of righteousness, the overflow of what it looks like to walk in Christ. He's not just talking about that you've been saved. He's talking walk in it. And think about this. Like this is how Jesus talks about what it looks like to live righteous. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 20, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees, they've got the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Memorized. They're not struggling through Leviticus in their, day, in their Bible reading, Right? Memorize. And then he goes on to say, he lays out these things. This is how you deal with anger, lust, divorce, agreements, retaliation, and how you love your enemies. And then ends with the discussion with this. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus cares about how you live. And the only way you can be perfect the only way you can walk in this perfection is if you've met Christ and he's given it to you. You cannot do this on your own. This only comes through Christ. So as we wrap up, John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jump down to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. There's no way to live and abide in this love and abound in this love unless you've met Christ. This is the goal to be in Christ, to know him. And the ultimate goal is at the very end of this verse, to the glory and praise of God. Listen, the end goal of the Christian life is to praise God, that his name would be glorified in your life. It's not that you just get out of hell, it's that your life is given over to everything that he is about. 
that you grow and abound in your love that he's given to you and you do it through knowing him and discerning what he does in the moments. Now think about this, uh, this quote from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Like, man, are we just like bummed out that this is all it is to the Christian life? Are we like overjoyed that this is what God has invited us into? That we get to love one another and bear with one another and walk with one another. And the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. What is the chief end of man? What is the man's ultimate goal? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like this is what you've been called into. So church, what does it look like? What would it look like if we gave our lives and our all to do this, to make much of Jesus, that we've met him, we've experienced his love, and we walk in it? Like, does your life, is it marked by the praise and glory of the name of God, or is it marked by selfish desires? I wanna call you today to whether repent and believe what is true of God, maybe for the first time, or repent and believe and keep walking in it. So the option today on the table is this. Respond to the gospel by repenting and believing for the first time or for the numerous time. Do you trust him? Are you walking in him? Because he's worthy of it all. So maybe right now you're in the room and you just feel something like I've never trusted in God. I wanna, I wanna challenge you to lean into that. I wanna tell you, like believe and trust and give your life over to this. This is the best. And for those that have given their lives and are following Jesus, continue to take the steps, start somewhere. The only way you're gonna grow in this love, this understanding is with the knowledge, being biblically informed with deep affection for the Lord. So we're gonna, we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond because he's worthy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. 
And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.